Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Friends and welcome to this another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. My name is Josh Norris, and thanks for joining me for this Week Nine Game by Game Recap Show, where hopefully we will hit on every single fantasy relevant player out there in a wild, wild slate of matchups. I mean, we saw Anthony Lynn and this Chargers team drop to eleven and nineteen in one score contests. We saw the old Josh Allen. The Panthers keep up with the Chiefs. And officially the first real start for Tua Tungavailoa against Kyler Murray. Man, these young quarterbacks in the NFL are a lot of fun. Also want to say thank you so much to everyone that helped us get over 1,000 reviews on this podcast. Meant a lot of me. I read them all. Keep them up if you feel so kind. But thank you. I noticed. Want to remind you that we'll be back on Tuesday morning with the John Daigle 20-minute waiver podcast. And we have a couple more shows as the week goes on. You know all that stuff. You're here for the games. So let's get into it right now. In a game that was supposed to have a 10-point spread, the Kansas City Chiefs just hold on to beat the Carolina Panthers 33-31. to Hayden Winks, I mean, the Carolina Panthers were up 14-3, to I believe, at one point. But in the end, what we always know came into fruition. Patrick Mahomes can score a boatload of points in a short amount of time. He went 30 of 45, 372, and four touchdowns. Yep, the stat line looked great. In the first half, Patrick Mahomes missed Tyreek Hill on a couple long touchdown passes that should have been complete. In most weeks, those are com- those are completed. It's nothing to worry about because Patrick Mahomes came back in the second half and just lit up this Panthers defense apart, which is what we expected. They still put up 33 points. It was still a really nice win. Uh, but the Panthers, very well-coached team. They've got some good players on offense. Teddy Bridgewater looks um, a little bit more mobile than what we've seen. He's also very accurate. And the Christian McCaffrey returning was a big factor. Um, so the Panthers still going to be a, a, a team that um, they're probably not going to get blown out very often just because they're so well-coached. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. 
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Yeah, this is one where the Panthers, I think, from an early game plan standpoint, wanted to like keep Patrick Mahomes limited on the number of drives that he had because their first drive, the Panthers, lasted nine minutes and it ended in a touchdown. But then once Patrick Mahomes gets in comeback mode, he is able just to string together drives and then it forces you to work from behind once you are down on the scoreboard. I mean, Travis Kelsey is easily the most relevant Tight end in all fantasy football, 12 targets, 10 receptions, 159 yards. You mentioned Tyree Kill. After somewhat of a slow start because of how coverages were playing this team, he put up 113 yards and two touchdowns. But the other pieces beside that, I mean, there was this awesome motion play that Mahomes had where he like walked to the right and then sprinted left, caught the ball, then looped back to the right and then fired Demarcus Robinson in the back corner. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had a receiving touchdown as well. Anything else to say about those pieces that aren't named Kelsey and Tyreek? Yeah, I think we have a good idea what's going to happen with the Chiefs' backfield right now. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is certainly the number one back in this committee. He started the game, most snaps, most carries, most targets, was around the goal line. But Daryl Williams is still on third downs as the pass protector. He subbed in. He played the second most snaps on the team. And then Le'Veon Bell's kind of working as like, uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire's like direct back backup. He comes in randomly, but he wasn't very involved. He didn't look very good. So I think that Le'Veon Bell is certainly not somebody that you're going to start, even if you're looking at like an RB three, he's more of an RB four for me, at least um, he's just not getting the work. Um, and we know what the chiefs want to do. Ultimately last year, they led the league in neutral pass rate uh, this week. They had 45 pass attempts, 12 rush attempts, and this was a close game. So, yeah, when, when things are close, when the Chiefs are really rolling, it's going to be through the air, of course. Patrick Mahomes, he's he's on track to win the MVP. I know Russ jumped out really strong. Aaron Rodgers still in the mix. Kyler's doing some things. But Patrick Mahomes, 27 touchdowns, two turnovers. The Chiefs are 8-1. and one. Their schedule's average at best from here on out. They're probably going to win 14 games. Patrick Mahomes is going to have 40 touchdowns again, and he's probably going to be the MVP. I know Le'Veon Bell is basically irrelevant right now, but I need to ask about CEH because Harris last three stat lines on the ground, five attempts today, six attempts last week for 21 yards, eight attempts for 46 yards and a touchdown in the game before that. But then, you know, against Buffalo, he had 26 carries for 161 yards. We've seen him great on the ground. It's just not happening right now because it doesn't need to be part of the offense. Yeah, and there's three backs involved. Like you would have, you would have assumed that Daryl Williams would not have been a part of the picture when Le'Veon Bell was signed, but he's still playing a lot of snaps. So if Clyde Edwards-Helaire is not playing all the third down snaps, 
And if Le'Veon Bell is going to mix in, even if mixing in is, means five touches a game for Le'Veon Bell, that still eats into Clyde Edwards Hilaire's game plan. And you have to look at the game plan for the Chiefs. Sometimes uh, teams are going to say, all right, we're not going to let Patrick, or we're going to try not to let Patrick Mahomes beat us. Right. And that means you're getting 20 carries out of Clyde Edwards Hilaire. But it's going to be super boom bust. I think you still want to start him as like an RB2, but more of a low end RB2. And somebody that you just need those touchdowns or need that game plan to click in because you're going to have some games where he's going to have six six carries, 25 yards, and that's it. I mean, today, just eight touches in general. So we got lucky that he found the end zone. All right. Looking at the Panthers side of this, Teddy Bridgewater was asked to throw the football 49 times, completed 36 of them, 310 yards and two touchdowns. Also had 19 yards on the ground and a score. One of the nicest surprises – pleasant surprises of the season is mobile Teddy. I mean, I know like early in his Vikings career, he did this some Louisville as well, but I think all of us after that horrific knee injury that he sustained in practice would have never expected any of this. And almost every single week we're seeing some type of, of magic from Teddy on the ground to convert a play. I mean, it's, it's so much fun to watch. Yeah. He had a scramble that he, it was like, I think fourth and 14 that he had to pick up where he kind of dove and then he also had to scramble for a touchdown. So that's been really surprising. And he's just got a lot of pieces to throw to. Curtis Samuels coming on the last couple of weeks. I'm not sure what the deal is with that. I do know that the number four receiver um, was cut a couple of weeks ago. So maybe that's why Curtis Samuels is more involved. He was used out of the backfield for a, a couple snaps, um, even with McCaffrey back. But I think the big storyline here was there was no splitting snaps between McCaffrey and, and Mike Davis. Mike Davis came on for a couple of plays, caught like five passes, but, I mean, the, the Panthers ran, like, 75 plays, and McCaffrey got 18 carries and was the checkdown artist that he was last year, caught all 10 of his targets. I mean, that was basically the workload that he had last year. Of course, when you're trailing points from the Chiefs and you're in a high-scoring game environment, your stat lines are going to go berserk. But I think this means that McCaffrey is back, him and mm-hmm. Alvin Kamara and Dalvin Cook in their own tier at the top of fantasy rankings right now. Yeah, even with 50 attempts, DJ Moore just got three targets, two receptions, 18 yards. I was even watching this game, and I couldn't tell you why that happened necessarily. I mean, other than, you know, Curtis Samuel catching all nine of his targets, Christian McCaffrey catching all 10 of his, Robbie Anderson catching nine of his 13 for 63 yards. Even Mike Davis caught five of his six targets. So it just seemed like one person had to be left out. And today that was DJ Moore. Yeah, I think what we're going to see is when the all 22 tape grinders see the tape that <laughs> DJ Moore is running a lot of his routes down the field and the Chiefs were just getting too much pressure. And that's when you were seeing Teddy Bridgewater, who's been a checkdown artist basically his entire career, opting for all of these checkdown guys instead of going deep with DJ Moore. So it's going to be frustrating. I think DJ Moore is more like a wide receiver three flex guy who's going to be pretty boom bust and just pretty inconsistent overall, especially with McCaffrey back. And also, not trying to start beef here, Hayden, but if you see any national writers saying anything about Christian McCaffrey and Mike Davis splitting series moving forward, just tell them that they don't know what they're talking about because that is not happening when the Panthers are in a football game like they were today. All right, let's go to the other game. Another one that was supposed to be a blowout that absolutely was not. The Pittsburgh Steelers beat the Dallas Cowboys 24-19 to in a comeback effort by the Steelers scoring 15 of their 24 points in the fourth quarter, the stat line looks great for Ben Roethlisberger. 29 of 42, 306, three touchdowns. Was it that good on the field? Well, he dodged a big knee injury, and that was kind of the big storyline outside of this game being closed. Is he got, 
I mean, he got fallen onto in his left knee and it looked like it could have been a serious injury, but it looks like he dodged a serious injury. He was able to return. And then in the second half after that injury is when the offense started to come alive. And once again, there is no deep ball. Like Big Ben's yeah. arm is just not what it was before. And I think that this is pretty predictable. I mean, you're coming off of basically a Tommy John surgery. You're an older quarterback, especially if he has leg injury. He's not going to be able to step into the ball. And their their receivers are very good underneath. And you saw it with Juju Smith had a big game. Deontay Johnson broke free for a big play late in the game. And Chase Claypool can win underneath as well because he's so athletic. So I think you're going to continue seeing the Steelers just dink and dunk the entire game. I do wonder if that's if they need a vertical element to be a true Super Bowl contender. But I think for right now, the offense is still plenty good enough. This is just kind of one of those games where you're kind of in a weird spot. They play down to the opponent, and then you just end up gritting out a win in the in the end. Yeah, it kind of seemed like Deontay, the ball got to him even earlier than he was expecting it to on a number of catches in the flats when he typically can create yards off a catch in those situations. It's because Ben just didn't want to hold the football in those scenarios. And I know that Chase Claypool had the the third most, so the third behind Juju and Deontay Johnson in terms of yardage with 69, but he actually led the team in targets with 13. So that's something to, to pluck and move forward with. Um, and Juju Smith-Schuster keeps showing up in these recent weeks. And on the ground, I mean, Nothing was going on. James Conner, 22 yards. Anthony McFarlane, seven yards. I don't know if we need to talk about any of that at all, but let's talk about this Cowboys offense, Hayden. Um, we saw the Ben DiNucci show last week, and it was curtains immediately. Um, Garrett Gilbert comes in and has some some moments, has some magic to him. Uh, on the ground, ran for 28 yards, but in the air, threw for 243 at a touchdown. Made C.D. Lamb relevant with 71 yards and a score. Amari Cooper, 67 yards. Michael Gallup got seven targets. Some positives here. Yeah, Ben DiNucci played like a completely inexperienced quarterback, and Garrett Gilbert at least looked like he knew what was going on overall. And that was just the difference between the Cowboys putting up like 10 points and putting up 19 points. But I will say that the offense still was was garbage. I mean, there's there's really not that much optimism, even, even after keeping this game close. The Cowboys' special teams really was the difference in – why this game remained close. Um, Ezekiel Elliott uh, escaped the game without having any setbacks. He looks like he'll be completely fine after the bye, but the offensive line is still problematic. You're not going to get good quarterback play. So it's pretty tough. I mean, you're going to have to be basically keep downgrading these guys. I think Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb are the best bets because they're near the line of scrimmage. Ezekiel Elliott also near the line of scrimmage, but someone like Michael Gallup, I'm less convinced that he can stay in the fantasy picture. Cowboys did have a last second attempt on a throw in order to win the game. Um, let's dive in just quickly. If you have anything else to say about that backfield, because that was the major talking point in question heading into this. Cause we heard like late in the week that Zeke was almost certainly going to miss. And instead he gets 18 carries for 51 yards, adds another two receptions for 18 yards. But Tony Pollard was just much more effective on the ground with nine carries for 57 yards himself. Yeah, I think if this game got out of hand quicker, Ezekiel Elliott would have been pulled for Tony Pollard. I think Tony Pollard probably played the most snaps of the season this week. There was more of a rotation than I I was seeing earlier on. Um, so I'll have to double-check snap counts tomorrow. But even even coming after the bye, uh, Tony Pollard, I don't really see a reason to keep, keep him on fantasy benches outside of like deep leagues. Even if Zeke Elliott does sit, he's still like – his ceiling is just super capped – in this offense. I I wouldn't hold on to him uh, if you're looking for a bi-week replacement. And I think Zeke's kind of just settling in as like a volume-based RB2, unless 
unless I mean the the one thing is if Andy Dalton comes back from his injury and plays like he was playing with the Bengals, which is like serviceable quarterback play with the amount of receiving talent that they have serviceable quarterback play would elevate the offense but we didn't see that earlier in the year the baltimore ravens beat the indianapolis colts 24 to 10 improving to six and two on the season denny carter live from his bathroom is joining us right now (laughs) am i wrong it's that you are wrong this is my bedroom for god's sake oh (laughs) sorry Denny. i I i'm so sorry i thought i thought behind you it was the shower curtain but i guess it's just a normal curtain (laughs) yeah no right right yeah it's just just a normal curtain but i could i could see how you can mistake that so it's good okay okay meant no offense i'm I'm not sitting on the toilet while i while i podcast (laughs) with you here (laughs) oh i just peeled the curtain back for everyone all right let's keep it moving denny i said to you before we got started that i was expecting this to be a good game a fun game, you know, without Mark Ingram that hopefully we would see J.K. Dobbins get rolling. There was basically no offense on either side. In fact, there were no passing touchdowns in this game. But let's first start with the Ravens because that's where we have so many questions. In the air, Lamar Jackson was incredibly efficient. 19 of 23, 170. Again, no touchdowns, no interceptions. On the ground, 58 yards and a touchdown. J.K. Dobbins, 30 yards. Gus Edwards, 23 yards. And a score. How did the flow of that trio work today? I mean, Dobbins, uh, just start with him, he saw pretty much the same workload that he saw last week with Ingram out uh, against Pittsburgh. I think Dobbins saw 15 carries uh, today against uh, Indianapolis. He saw 14. Uh, he just didn't do much with his opportunity. Uh, you know, the, the Colts front seven is good. You know, they, they, mm-hmm. they're just a really aggressive, in, incredibly fast unit. And I didn't really appreciate that until, until watching how they handled Lamar Jackson and, and these running backs, they had, they had both Lamar and Dobbins and Gus Edwards, uh, you know, running for their lives east to west, uh, the, the, the whole game, Darius Leonard, just blowing up plays constantly uh, in the backfield. So it, it, uh, it was a, it was a struggle for the entire Ravens rushing attack and, and, you know, they, they won easily. Uh, and I come away from the game thinking, you know, how, I don't know how, <laughs> I mean, they had zero explosive plays. Basically Lamar Jackson's long run, nine yards, JK yeah. Dobbins, long run, eight yards, Gus Edwards, long run five yards. And then it kind of extends to the passing game where Nick freaking Boyle is the leading receiver with on four targets for 46 yards. Marquise Brown had a long reception of 20 yards, five targets, 38 total yards, Mark Andrews continues to disappoint five targets, three receptions, 22 Mm. yards. I mean, I understand needing to grind out wins, but I was hoping, I was hoping, I keep believing that at some point this Ravens team just is going to turn the corner, but maybe this is just who they are, especially with missing Ronnie Stanley at left tackle from now moving forward. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, Jackson threw 23 passes. So really, unless you, happen to be, you know, a guy who catches a long touchdown in those 23 yeah. attempts, you're not going to produce. Uh, you know, Marquise Brown came into the game kind of a squeaky wheel situation, had had to delete a tweet about, you know, being being <laughs> unhappy with his role in the offense and who, and who can blame him? You know, he's just he's just not seeing the ball. Um and he and he's finally and he's healthy, you know, unlike last year. So uh and and, and the squeaky wheel, you know, did not get the oil uh in, in this game. He he didn't I think he only saw three targets. Um, once they grabbed the lead, it was pretty much over for all the pass catchers on the Baltimore side of the ball. So, um, it's, it's going to be, you know, tough sledding as they say for anyone who has Mark Andrews and and Marquise Brown going forward. I like that old school John Fox 
uh, <laughs> jargon you just threw in there. And I, I guess one positive is, you know, there was some negative game script and there was positive game script for the Ravens, but J.K. Dobbins getting 14 touches, Gus Edwards getting 13 touches. That's kind of the floor, I guess, moving forward in a win. All right, looking at the Colts, they were up 10-7 at halftime, then were completely shut out in the second half. Again, this team, I thought, heading into the season, kind of wanted Phillip Rivers to make a play when necessary. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure they didn't envision asking him to throw the ball 43 freaking times like they did today. 25 completions, 227 yards, and an interception. And without any explosive receivers that we've talked so much about this season, Denny, mm-hmm. it must have looked difficult all, all game long. Yeah, he spread it around. I think uh, two two guys, two receivers tied for seven targets, and that was uh, that was the most. Um, it was Marcus Johnson and Michael Pittman and, and Pittman, and, and and Pittman was the deep threat here. Pittman saw two uh, downfield shots, uh, one of which was really close to being a reception that really would have padded his stat line late in the game. Um, as it is, I, I think Pittman. I could see Pittman taking on a larger role, especially with. T.Y. Hilton dinged up, and also, you know, when Hilton is uh, in there and and healthy, he's not effective. So, you know, the uh, dusty the kids are saying. So, uh, so you know, Pittman could could see you know more volume going forward. I, I think, but um, it, yeah, it's just having to rely on anyone in this Colts passing game is going to be really tough. I think really uh, you have to be in a pretty deep league to to be in that spot right now. Even a guy named DeMichael Harris, who I swear is not real, um, (laughs) had four catches for 27 yards today and was the fourth leading receiver on the team. Let's close out with this running back situation. Um, Look, both Jonathan Taylor and Jordan Wilkins caught two passes. Both were short of the 10-yard mark at each. Um, But then the rushing game, Jordan Wilkins, 11 carries, 39 yards. Jonathan Taylor, six carries, 27 yards, and he did get a goal line plunge, jumped Mm -hmm. over the pile. Um, each had a long run of 11 yards. Again, this DeMichael Harris guy comes in and actually out-totals Jonathan Taylor mm-hmm. on the ground. Is it just time to give up? And life. I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking about life. <laughs> I'm talking about with his backfield. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how, uh, how dark the place is where Jonathan Taylor drafters are residing <laughs> right now. But um, yeah, I just I don't think that we're going to see him turn into the, the workhorse that we – you know, envisioned for him in this offense back in, in July and August, uh, you know, Wilkins, when he's healthy, is going to see more carries. It has and, and continues to. He saw more carries today. And, th- and this is a game plan that clearly was focused on getting Jonathan Taylor going early. He, had, he saw the first, uh, play, first play of the game was a rush to the left side for 10 or 11 yards right off the bat. Uh, the second play was a, was a target to him for a short game. And they clearly wanted to get him involved, uh, maybe boost his confidence. You know, that, that's what they were saying on the, on the broadcast, at least, was that they were afraid that his confidence would be getting low because he's been pretty ineffective, uh, you know, through much of the season. But even doing that didn't end up, you know, doing much, honestly, for, for Jonathan Taylor and, and Wilkham. He saved his day with a touchdown, which is nice. But you know that we're not going to get that every week, um, hmm. and 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 as, as long as Wilkins is upright, it's going to be a problem. Just that verbiage makes me think that that's exactly what Frank Reich told the broadcasters, like in their pre-game meetings, you know, and just that they weren't able to do that. Just eight total touches for him in this game, and I know it's negative game script, but not not in the first half. No. 
and that that's really really concerning. Yeah, well, the the, Col- the Colts had a a lead. You know, I mean, the, the Baltimore offense uh, was absolutely lifeless for the first quarter and a half of the game. Um, and I'm being generous. Honestly, it was it was pretty much the whole first half that they just didn't do much. So the the Colts had a, a lead throughout the first half, and and Taylor was not seeing the ball. So it's uh, it's very disappointing. I mean, as it, speaking as someone who took Taylor in a lot of leagues in the third round. Uh, it's it's been disappointing, and he lost another fumble, which is very yes, again yes. concerning. The Miami Dolphins improved to five and three on the season, beating the Arizona Cardinals thirty four to thirty one. John Daigle had this game. Daigle, this one turned into a quarterback duel, but it started off with Kyler Murray fumble six, where we left off with Brian Flores against Jared Goff. But then Murray was able to really go up and down the field against this Dolphins defense. But maybe the story exiting it after only throwing for less than 100 yards in his debut to a tongue of Iowa in this game. 20 of 28, 248, two touchdowns, another 35 yards on the ground. What does performance look like? And they entrusted him with the game-clinching quarterback sneak on third and short to end the game, by the way. But much better, as we expected, right, than the Rams' performance where Aaron Donald is in his face the entire time. Mm-hmm. I know the box score doesn't really jump off the page, but just the fact he was doing this without Preston Williams for a majority of time, who hurt himself because a d- defender, I don't mean to laugh, but a defender fell on him while he was celebrating his touchdown, and thus he had to get caught oh, no. off the field. Yeah, uh, and he was actually developing a rapport with five targets from Tua early on before he had to get carted off the field. But no Isaiah Ford, who was traded midweek, um, and then no Miles Gaskin, of course, leaving this backfield with a group of three guys we'll talk about here in a bit. But to just be efficient and to step up constantly in the face of pressure and just look that much better and trusting other guys like Mike Jasicki, for instance, who he hit for a big 19-yard gain over the middle of the field to help set up the go-ahead field goal in the fourth quarter. Uh, That is where he shined today. And Kyler Murray's numbers were immensely better. But then again, Tua still had seven carries. And again, he just was efficient today and he got the job done. Yet that last final touchdown drive, and I mean, Tua was so good that even had Mac Holland score a touchdown. Mm-hmm. You know, no one does that in the NFL, but it had everything. I mean, it, it had designed runs, decisive runs. It then had these magic moments where Tua was, you know, doing the hokey pokey in the backfield, but still able to create something out of it. It had hit the back foot, you know, drive throws. It then had lofted touch passes like the one to Hollins in the right corner of the end zone. Again, we don't have like that much to go off of in the NFL right now with Tua, but I do feel like that drive is something that we can carry with us for weeks and weeks and weeks and think of him as this quarterback that already possessed that inside of him, which for as much as we love Ryan Fitzpatrick, I'm not sure we know what we get driving and drive out from Ryan. That's why he's so entertaining. But with Tua in that moment, he gave you exactly what you wanted this early in his career. And he again, he found Mike Gesicki, uh developed at least a, a quick rapport here with Devontae Parker, maybe only the seven targets because he was like the last viable receiver standing. But either way, just to move the ball with guys like that shorthanded is the most impressive takeaway. All right, let's talk about that backfield because you mentioned no Miles Gaskin. He'll be out for some time. Um, Jordan Howard got a short goal line carry and scored a touchdown, but that was only 19 yards and, and 10 carries in total. Ahmed, Ahmed, what's his first name? Solomon? 
It's Salvon, Salv, Salvone. I'm definitely mispronouncing that. But he was the leading rusher with 38 yards on on seven carries. Anything that we can take away from this backfield moving forward? Yeah, the most important takeaway is that Jordan Howard now has more yards than carries on the year. Uh, 28 for 33 and four touchdowns. Get out of the way, Josh Norris. Ugh, the answer is no, by the way. Yeah, the I actual mean, answer is no. That's so gross. Uh, let, let's well, look. I will say DeAndre Washington can be activated in week 10. I mm. don't think anyone is going to take on a bell cow role without Miles Gaskin. I don't think Matt Breida will even do it. He'll be the between the 20s guy with Laird sprinkling in on third downs and Jordan Howard still running when you're inside the five. So I think it's one to avoid entirely, but perhaps there's hope that if it's Breida or DeAndre Washington, maybe you get some you know 10 to 12 explosive touches, maybe. Even though they lost, the Cardinals were... Very, very fun. And mm-hmm. a lot of that is rooted in Kyler Murray's performance. 21 of 26, 283, three touchdowns, 11 carries, 106 yards, and a score. And like we mentioned, it started off as miserably as possible with that scoop and score six. But what would what was going to be your takeaway here with Kyler Murray moving forward? Because Christian Kirk was by far the leading receiver with, six, with eight targets, five receptions, 123 yards and a score. Kyler Murray gets knocked for his lacking downfield ball a lot of the time. But if you go back and watch this, not only was he living downfield, 56-yard touchdown to Christian Kirk, big-time throw. Uh, One that he fit in a shoebox. What's smaller than a window? A shoebox, yeah. Shoebox, that works. Okay, yeah, shoebox. 21 yards to Daryl Williams, who Byron Jones was even upset because he just misplayed the ball. But it was such a big throw in the corner of the end zone. It was very tight to get the space into. Uh, And he did all this, mind you, without DeAndre Hopkins, who was not targeted in the first half. I couldn't logically figure it out at first, but then it sort of hit me. Remember that game uh, against the Niners early on where they fed Christian Kirk to the Wolves and just put him on Richard Sherman's side of the field, right? And then they did not throw. If you look at the heat chart from that game, they literally didn't throw the ball on the right side of the field. They only went to Hopkins against other guys on the left. And that's what this is with Xavier Howard. Um, Shattered him, of course, but they literally just didn't go to Hopkins at all. Instead, just kept peppering Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald for big gains over the middle of the field using their tight ends, Mac Williams, of course, uh, activated from injured reserve from this game as well. So just using everyone else, and that's how Murray got it done. We finally got Chase Edmonds as the lead ball carrier. In terms of running back touches, he had 25. DJ Foster had one. But Daigle, the production really wasn't there. 70 yards on the ground, three catches, 18 yards in the air. What kept him from having a, a big day? I, I know it wasn't there. They contained him, right? Uh, it's funny because Murray had a big day on the ground because, remember, the Dolphins lean on man coverage and blitzing. Thus, corners and linebackers have their backs turned to the line of scrimmage. And so a guy like Murray, who scrambles anyhow, can take off for explosive gains. Like the Dolphins will perpetually give up big rushing gains to opposing quarterbacks that can run because that's their style of defense that they play. But for Chase Edmonds, it was the front seven. There was Emmanuel Ogba, and the list goes on and on of guys who just corralled him and contained him. The takeaway should not be the box score. It should be the fact he handled 25 of 26 running back carries and 28 of 30 backfield touches. Like we have a usage-based RB1 that should be treated as such again next week as well, as long as Kenyon Drake remains out. Okay. Let's move on to the other game that you had, one that was far less exciting, but the Tennessee Titans improved to 6-2 and two on the season, beating the Chicago Bears 24-17. to 17. Ryan Tannehill, and we usually say he 
you know, might not have a lot of volume, but he's going to complete a lot of his passes. Didn't have a lot of volume today, Daigle, but he only completed 10 of 21 attempts, 158 yards and two touchdowns. Now, A.J. Brown still got home. Nine targets, four receptions, 101 yards, and a score on this incredible 40-yard catch. But what was going on for Ryan Tannehill today? It's the Bears' defense. Remember, hadn't allowed a QB1 performance on the year. Um, Drew Brees' performance last week was still incredible. We talked about it on this show, considering it did come on the road against this Bears' defense, and that was it again here. Just a slog of a match. Even when you look at Derrick Henry, 68 yards and 20 carries, and by the way, he got – 26 of those on one run. So he was left basically averaging less than two yards per carry on the entire afternoon or just over. Um, It was just the Bears defense trying to keep them in the game again. But the score lies, we'll get to their offense in a second, Hmm. because really the Titans built, it took them a while. Don't get me wrong. It took effort, but it took them a bit to build a 17-0 lead. And then the Bears just came back with a whole half's worth of garbage time. The big takeaway here is that A.J. Brown is a matchup-proof wide receiver one, essentially. And I... I've been when I haven't been sure when to exactly admit this, but we might as well do it now for everyone. Uh-oh. That he was, of course, he was one of my top five fades coming into the year because mm-hmm. I thought his target volume would not be there. But the fact is, he's getting the volume. So you look at Corey Davis, three targets and an egg. Joe New Smith, who did have two catches and a touchdown, but that didn't come until the final drive, like their final touchdown drive. Other than that, he wasn't targeted at all. It's still AJ Brown, who has seven targets and/or a touchdown in every single game this year, has now scored in five straight. And while Mike Evans, I think, is a fade because of these touchdowns, the difference is Mike Evans is not getting the volume. A.J. Brown is getting the volume every single week. So you add that to the fact that he's a yak monster, and you have, like I said, a matchup-proof wide receiver one that I was just wrong on. Let's take a look at that Bears offense, because you mentioned at one point the Titans were up 17 to nothing. Then the Bears score 17 points. In the fourth quarter, I mentioned that Ryan Tannehill had 21 attempts. Nick Foles had 52 freaking attempts in this game. Completed 36, 335 yards, and two touchdowns. Was this good Nick Foles, bad Nick Foles, garbage time Nick Foles that if you started him, you just got lucky here? It was... Nick Foles that would have been benched had Mitchell Trubisky been active for this game. Ooh. Of course, Trubisky's week to week with a shoulder injury, but it was terrible. Matt Nagy came out and on Zoom to media after this game, and his exact quote, I don't like penalties, drive stallers, killers. You can't have that. The issue, Josh, is that he was just lying. Uh, their first six possessions, they didn't have a single pen- penalty, and yet they had zero points on those six possessions. They failed to record even a field goal try on their first nine possessions, oh scoring their first points with 12.33 remaining in the fourth quarter. The play calling is what should be look examined in the mirror here, which is Matt Nagy's fault because he consistently asked David Montgomery and Cordero Patterson to pick up gains on third and short. And it's not Cordero Patterson runs up the middle. It's those, it's those weird flat, passes they call to him that never go anywhere and of course with David Montgomery who doesn't go anywhere anyways he runs right up the gut uncreative uncreatively it's just it's just all around bad it's um, wrong the, it's all it's all wrong for the entire organization it's all wrong right now the best case sample of this Bears offense is that there was one situation in the fourth quarter where they lined up fourth and inches on the Titans 30 to go for it and there was a false start So fourth and five, right? Okay, let's line up again and go for it. False start again. Got (laughs) to punt the ball now. 
That literally sums up their entire afternoon. It is an absolute disaster, which, of course, drags down Allen Robinson, who does have nine targets in this game, yes, but five of them were ugly and were uncatchable, so it doesn't matter. Um, you know, Darnell Mooney, Anthony Miller got sprinkled for their couple of downfield shots they get per game. Mooney, in particular, had a 22-yard gain. But other than that, there's just absolutely nothing going on here. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. And what we expected to be a high-scoring game between the Buffalo Bills and the Seattle Seahawks, it certainly was. It combined 78 points with the Bills winning 44-34 to 34 defense, as always questionable with these two teams, Patrick Darty. But what it did allow was for first three or four weeks of the season, Josh Allen to reemerge from his cave, 31-38. 415 yards, three touchdowns in the air, and another score on the ground. Was this back to multi-wide receiver Brian Dayball offense and Josh Allen spreading the football out to many, many playmakers? It was. And for, don't ever bring an SEC over-under to a Big 12 game. That's what <laughs> Vegas did today, and it, it failed miserably. And so to answer your question about, uh, you know, were the Bills using four wideouts? You know, were they going like – spread like high tempo you know it's crazy passing offense uh they had 28 passes in the first half and three rush attempts so wow to answer your question they were winning uh, 24 to 7 at one point i believe i believe maybe it was 24 to 10 at halftime shockingly uh, rational coaching works uh the seattle seahawks known widely as the worst uh pass defense in the nfl so the bills did the rational thing and they simply just did not run and they threw at will josh allen was 24 of 28 for 282 yards and three touchdowns at halftime. Wow. So talking about like a, a game plan that makes sense, then executing it to perfection. Like you said, to a guy who had been in a slump, Josh Allen, uh, not like full regression, but I mean, he was getting to that point. Like, or again, I said, just one baseline. We need to see Josh Allen make sure he clears this year as he's got to take advantage of great matchups. And yeah, I mean, he had, this was maybe the best overall start of his career today. And yeah, so it was, yeah, just everything that we needed to see from Josh Allen and just a perfect game plan from a team that really kind of needed to reestablish a momentum, which, you know, is real. I, I see so many positives, 
But I also see that he took seven sacks today. How did that happen? I didn't. If you, I would have not guessed that. If you had asked me how many sacks he would have taken, I probably would have said like four because it got a little bit ragged in the second half. You know, every Seahawks game uh, is so frenetic, and the game did get kind of like off the rails in the second half for both teams. Russell Wilson had four turnovers, and you know, Josh too. Uh, it seems like a lot of times he's not really been a second half player this year, mm-hmm. even in some of his good starts. You know, against the Rams game, he did kind of say they had an amazing first half, came out had it just a completely terrible, but that wasn't that he had a, I think I can't remember. He had a rushing touchdown in the second half where he kind of like followed a caravan into the end zone and he avoided the turnovers. He never made the big mistake, but if sacks, he's going to be one of those quarterbacks always, obviously that just takes yeah. a few too many sacks. I, I could see those being like one yard sacks where he's like almost back to the line of scrimmage running the football or like rather than tossing it out of bounds, just running it for a one yard loss and those count as sacks. So maybe that was just pointless. That just stood out to me. Uh, Stefan Diggs dominant as usual, 12 targets, nine receptions, 118 yards, rookie Gabriel Davis back involved, which, you know, is a narrative path that we should have seen coming if, the Seahawks are so bad in their secondary, and we've seen Brian Dayball run more 10 personnel than we have in previous years with him and Josh Allen. We should have, again, seen him get four wide receivers involved. But a name that we hadn't seen in recent weeks really was John Brown, and he must look great, Pat, on 11 targets, eight receptions, 99 yards. Yeah, and I'm assuming one of the reasons we haven't seen more four receiver sets in recent weeks was because of John Brown's health, and he didn't miss that much time. I don't even know if did he ever even officially miss a game. I think maybe he missed one game, but he's been you know well under 100 percent since like week three. I and our blurb, I can't. I had some insane stat. I think he had like 62 total yards or something since week three coming into the wow. day. So had just not been the same uh, since since weeks one and two. He came out of the gates really hot, and yeah, that really. I'm assuming that had a huge effect today on the Bills offense because having a healthy John Brown, you know, an, another game breaker opposite Stefan Diggs really changes the calculus for both the offense and the defense. And, you know, it returns uh, Cole Beasley kind of no longer. Uh, Cole Beasley, you know, kind of messing around and being a wide receiver three. That is not going to happen if John Brown is healthy. John Brown, too, he gave us a scare today. Uh, he did, like, come off the field limping at one point in the first half. And I was like, oh, well, there it is again. The dream is already over again. But he came back and was fine. It was never announced an injury. was not limping thereafter. And if he can stay healthy, I mean, that will be a humongous X factor for the second half of the season. Yeah, seven Bills receivers caught a pass of 20-plus yards today, which is pretty amazing. Again, the Bills are 7-2. and two. Seahawks still 6-2, and two, Pat, even on the losing end of this one. Russell Wilson, 28-41, 390, two touchdowns two interceptions. We've seen a lot of explosive plays and obviously DK Metcalf's a major part of that with 108 yards and a score. Tyler Lockett had 40 yards on seven targets, but I guess when your defense is so bad, you can't have mistakes and throwing two interceptions. He probably had a few others took five sacks in this one that comes down to 10 points and is is the difference in the game. We had two interceptions and he also had two lost fumbles. And ah. the second, I can't remember, one of the lost fumbles was just very uncharacteristic of Russell Wilson. He was climbing the pocket and just didn't feel the pressure from behind, which is a mistake I feel like I've almost never seen Russell Wilson make. So just when you, when you get in these frenetic games and you know, your defense puts so much pressure on you, I mean, like, this is going to happen. And he's had three plus turnovers in two of his past three starts. And, but it's not like he's going out there and you're like, wow, you're like, why is Russell Wilson? making these terrible decisions. It's just because of the nature of these games that the Seahawks get uh, caught up in. And it never, I mean, he made some bad decisions, but it never felt like Russell Wilson 
was playing poorly or, you know, or like becoming a problem, obviously it's just, he is under so, so much pressure and you're behind multiple scores the entire game. Like these are the things that are going to happen. Even if you're having an MVP season, which he is. Let's close with this running back situation because it certainly was a storyline heading into this one on the ground. DJ Dallas had the most production, seven carries, 31 yards and a score. He also had two receptions, Travis Homer, just six carries and 16 yards on the ground, but Pat, in the air, he had three catches, 64 yards, including a 50-yard reception. And then somehow even Alex Collins got involved with two carries for five yards for absolutely no reason. We'll also have to talk about the Bills' backfield. But yeah, the Seahawks' backfield, unfortunately, kind of went – so last week, Travis Homer was basically only active on an emergency basis. And today he was clearly going to be more ready to play. It was kind of like the talk coming out of Seattle this week. And yet Travis Homer and DJ Dallas went to a snap – or touches standstill. Both got nine touches – uh, DJ Dallas got the touchdown. But yeah, the 50-yard catch and run was the big play from Travis Homer. And pretty clear that if Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde remain out for another game in Week 10, that this is going to be like a, a 50-50 community, maybe even more involvement from Alex Collins. They don't seem to truly trust either DJ Dallas or Travis Homer in early downs, which is not surprising. Both kind of build as third down uh, backs this year. But yeah, I think at least one of uh, Carson and Hyde will probably be back because you know, they weren't placed on injured reserve. I mean, right. the Seahawks were expecting them to miss fewer than three games, so that's a big tell this year. Obviously, we're not injured reserve. It means the over-under for your return is three games, and it's usually under. So it would be very surprising if at least one of those backs did not return next week. But uh, the Seahawks seem to miscalculate injury timelines quite frequently, especially Pete Carroll, who thinks like every injury is like a day-to-day. Um, so... But if they're not back, it's unfortunately – it's not going to be like set DJ Dallas in your lineup and forget it. Travis Homer will be a big part of the backfield. I just skipped over the Bills' backfield because Zach Moss had 18 yards and a score and Devin Singletary had two runs for one yard. Is there anything you want to say about that before we move on? Yeah, I mean, Devin Singletary, I, I, he's canceled, Josh. He's got just it. canceled because All right. got out carried 9-2 to two by Zach Moss, 7-2 to two by Josh Allen. The only true goal line carry went to Zach Moss uh, – Josh Allen likes to have a goal line carry too, where he followed into caravan of blockers uh, and Devin Singletary. Yeah. I mean, and a, a team where you score a game where your team scores 44 points, uh, you only get two carries. You only get five touches. The other guy gets the goal line carry again. Uh, that's a real problem. And he's Devin Singletary is, is fading from flex relevance. So everyone remember when I drafted Devin Singletary in our perfect draft, I reached for our second running back. It's officially a disaster. <laughs> Let's go now to the New York giants narrowly beating the Washington football team 23 to 20. I think the biggest story here, Pat is Kyle Allen leaving early on was five of seven for 62 yards seemed to suffer like a horrific leg injury. And then who comes in to replace him? But Alex Smith, I mean, what must've been going on through Alex Smith's head in that scenario? Um, But then Alex Smith was atrocious, Pat. 24 of 32, 325 yards, one touchdown, and three interceptions. It allowed us to get Terry McLaurin home for 115 yards and a score. But Washington, while you know we like their pieces and Antonio Gibson, who got a touchdown and on 20 yards, but then just three receptions, this is going to be a major issue moving forward, I think. And tell me what you think if Alex Smith is the quarterback. Yeah, it was a very grim scene uh, for Alex Smith to be entering a game after that. And uh, just very, very 20 de- 2020 development. And I'll say that, I mean, Alex Smith looked better than he did in week five, where Alex Smith maybe looked like 
just straight up looked like he did not belong in an NFL football field. And like I said, he looked good today, but he didn't look like he was like totally scared and totally out of place, but he was more conservative than ever. You know, basically no shots down the field. He had a 68 yard touchdown, but it was a simple crossing route to scary Terry where he took it made a few missed tackles, had a few guys just missed tackles. He did all the work. It had nothing to do with Alex Smith. And, uh, I mean, the interceptions, yeah, were bad, bad, bad. The first interception was because J.D. McKissick fell down, but it was still like a ball that was like going right into the turf. He would have basically had to like catch it like two feet off the ground. It would have fallen down immediately for like a five-yard gain. And, and two, yeah, Alex Smith threw two more interceptions in the closing minutes of the game, both just horrible throws. The third one, the game-ending pick, was right to Logan Ryan. And it's the guy, too, yeah, who looked kind of – I mean – I probably just projecting every looked like kind of like a guy who suffered a horrific injury and does not want to suffer another horrific injury a few times just like he's just like get me out of here and especially in the final pick he just he he forced a few throws quicker than they needed to be and yet, I, I think this this franchise seems totally done with Dwayne Haskins so I kind of get the feeling it's gonna be Alex Smith but I mean you should definitely see see if they can like make a piece with Dwayne Haskins because yeah I don't know what half a season Alex Smith is going to accomplish for this team and the game script was completely out of it and Washington almost came back to win, but they were down 20 to three at halftime. So Antonio Gibson's value was kind of thrown out the window because he did lead the team with six carries, but Pat in the passing game, which again is what Antonio Gibson was most known for coming into the NFL. He had three targets. JD McKissick had 14 targets, caught nine receptions for 65 yards I must be missing something. I obviously do not work in the NFL. There has to be some reason why Scott Turner keeps putting J.D. McKissick out there as the receiver instead of Antonio Gibson. Maybe it's pass pro. Maybe because McKissick has always been a receiver. But, Pat, I still don't get it. I just don't get, I don't it. get it. Yeah, I mean, if only Antonio Gibson had a background in pass catching, like you said, it just would have been, solved so many problems for Washington, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, it just makes absolutely no sense. And I mean, the good news is Antonio Gibson has zero competition on early downs. And even in a game where like game flow went sideways early, he did get a rushing touchdown for the second straight week. So he can still kind of make a living, keep his floor propped up with like 10 to 12 weekly carries, at least, even though he didn't reach that today. And, and the good news is despite the insane amount too of J.D. McKissick target, it's not like Antonio Gibson ever gets zero targets. He still somehow manages to catch like three or four weekly passes. But yeah, he's such a weapon. I don't understand. Again, a team that's going nowhere, unless it's just truly pass protection. Well, the Giants won this game, and it didn't look like it from Daniel Jones' stat line. 23 of 34, 212, one touchdown. Is there anything we need to say from this team, I mean, Evan Ingram had five receptions, 48 yards, and a touchdown dropped a few others. Wayne Gallman was leading rusher with 14 carries, 68 yards, and a score. But Alfred Morris also contributed 67 yards. A guy named Austin Mack was the leading receiver, 72 <laughs> yards at. Introduce us to him. Undrafted free agent at Ohio State. I had definitely heard of him before today. I, I know a lot about him, but I just know too much to fit into this podcast right. about Austin Mack, so I can't do it. Mean, Daniel Jones, hey, look, he didn't leave as many yards in the field as he did last Monday night against the Bucks. so uh, that's a positive, I guess. Uh, his first turnover-free start all year, although he did fumble twice. He just happened to not lose either of them. Uh, yeah, I guess if there is any actionable fantasy takeaway – Evan Ingram got 10 targets. He had at least nine targets in three straight games. Like you said, had some drops. Uh, Daniel Jones should have had an interception that wasn't his fault because he threw a ball right to Evan Ingram. 
that had his pop up off his hands for no reason whatsoever. And the Washington defender almost made the interception, but dropped the ball. And Evan Ingram is making so many mistakes. It's just so dispiriting to see from a player that we think has so much talent. Uh, but yeah, he, so uh, Evan Ingram though, this year he's, he's back in the tight end one conversation because the bar is so low this year and you get nine targets three weeks in a row. Like you're in the tight end one conversation, but like that's about as good as the good news gets for the Giants and what kind of didn't feel like a win, but was a win. Hey, guess what? The Atlanta Falcons won a football game. They've improved to three and six in the season, beating the Denver Broncos 34 to 27. Kyle Dvorak witnessed Matt Ryan have a multi-touchdown game in the air. 25 of 35, 284, three touchdowns, one pick. Say it so, Kyle Dvorak. Yeah, man, he was clean. He was looking like old Matty Ice. Even like he had like a 12 yard run. He was moving around the pocket nice. It just felt like he was in rhythm, which I don't know. Like their offense has been good, but it seems like more often than not, it's because their defense puts them in positions where they have to be good or at least fantasy good. This wasn't the case. They were just good. And they were even doing it without Calvin Ridley, who like, Olamide Zacchaeus, I believe, is how you say it. You nailed it. He showed up. Yeah, he showed up. Everyone just like, (laughs) the Falcons put together a good football game. There's nothing, no two ways around it. They had deep balls to Olamide Zacchaeus. They had Julio Jones score a touchdown as well. Just uh, everything clicked. I don't know, except maybe Todd Gurley, who still kind of just plods his way to touchdowns. But, you know, he does what he does. He does his thing. Three yards a carry is what it is. Yeah, Gurley did have 19 carries, 53 yards, and a score. You know, we discussed this earlier in the season that, when Julio Jones went out, it, it, the offense got difficult with just Calvin Ridley there, but this offense still was able to roll without Calvin Ridley in kind of the reverse roles with Julio Jones kind of as the star. Now, it's not like from a yardage perspective he was the star. He did take seven targets for 54 yards and a touchdown, but you mentioned Olamide Zacchaeus, who had 51-yard long reception, 103 yards in total, and that touchdown, even Hayden Hurst had more yards and 62 yards and seven receptions. So it seems like more and more people got involved against this Denver Broncos defense that, again, has had its moments this season. Yeah, I mean, I know the Broncos came in without two of their top corners. Boye, we knew, was going to be out, and they had Bryce Callahan, I believe, was out as well. So, I mean, a difficult spot for them to be in, and they've been, I mean, a lot of teams have. So, you know, everyone can make excuses, but they have been kind of crushed by injuries this year. They're on the road against a good Falcons team, so... I don't know. You can't expect that much from them. It wasn't a great showing, but like the expectations should have been set low. And yeah, Julio Jones, like surprisingly not like, you know, I, if you would have told me they put up 35 or whatever they had, and then I think it was 34. And then, you know, Matty Ice is, is on fire. I would have said, I don't know, 12, 13 targets for him alone. And uh, it wasn't quite the case, but he scores a touchdown. And I think that's just sort of the natural variance of football that even the alpha of the alpha receivers are going to have down games. And he saves his down game with a touchdown. So, you know, no complaints there. And he's still stud Julio alpha receiver. Let's talk about the Broncos because Drew Locke is coming off one of the better performances of his entire career, if not the best one. And I put today's game in a bit of a package here 25 of 48 so almost a 50 percent completion rate 313 yards though so he must have been firing down the field two touchdowns and interception yeah i mean he played okay i guess but it wasn't the best performance i still think that's like 6.5 yards per attempt and obviously at the time you couldn't have known this but he missed tim patrick i believe in the first corner first quarter kind of wide open in the end zone i mean he had a guy trailing him but it was an easy touchdown he just kind of bricked it there were some good throws in there as well but i think it was just the normal what we expect from drew lock on a larger sample in an individual game i think it was a career high pass attempts for him that led to a career high yards but it wasn't massively efficient 
you know, he, he didn't hit the, the throws he needed to, to win this football game. His defense didn't help him out, but, uh, yeah, it was just normal Drew Locke, but more of him in four quarters. <laughs> uh, he did. He was the team's leading rusher, 47 yards and a score on the ground, which, again, is not something we expect out of Drew Locke. Um, and the rest of the running backs were just absolutely awful, so we wouldn't even mention them. Uh, Jerry Judy had a slick touchdown pass. I mean, he was driving up the field, put his arm out like it. he was calling for you know, a vertical route, then immediately stops on a dime, works back to the quarterback, catches the ball, and then run after catch into the end zone. On 14 targets, he had seven receptions and 125 yards. It's probably his best game as a pro. Yeah, I mean, statistically, it definitely was his best game as a pro. I know, I think he had a, a fourth quarter drop, but if you tell me a guy is able to draw 14 targets in a game, I think targets are, are one of our best ways to indicate talent. It takes a lot to get on a field against other professional players and then get open versus those opposing quarterbacks and then draw the target. So he looks quite talented. If he's getting open, he's getting the ball. I'd like to see them be more accurate when they get to him, but uh, you'll take, you'll take the volume where you can get it. And uh, maybe if this defense continues to be like hampered by injuries and just overall, like less than we would expect from a Denver Broncos defense, like the volume alone could get them there. Do I think they pass like nearly 50 times in a game? No, that's probably not the expectation, but if you're saying, I don't know, eight or nine targets a game for Jerry Judy, It'll be less efficient, but he actually becomes a fantasy-relevant wide receiver, which is exciting. He's good. Did Noah Fant make it through this game? I mean, Noah Fant has been hobbled or hurt in previous weeks. He did have three targets for 45 yards, but I think I saw that he left early. So he left. He went to the locker room, and he looked uh, like he came off very gingerly in the first quarter, maybe in the first drive, and it was on a nice long catch and run, too. He does come back in later, but given that his team threw nearly 50 times and he saw two targets after coming back, I would say it is likely that uh, that injury definitely played a role in him not having you know much of a role within his offense. The Las Vegas Raiders improved to five and three, beating, oh, I feel so bad saying it, the Los Angeles Chargers 31 to 26, dropping them to two and six. First of all, Lauren Carpenter, uh, the Chargers might be the best two and six team of all time. And second, they've basically had this game one. They celebrated at the end. It was a one second to go fade to Donald Parham in the right corner of the end zone that was signaled a touchdown. Then on replay, just a single replay showed that the ball hit the ground once he landed. Uh, I mean, this must have just been heartbreaking to watch, even if you have no affiliation to either team. I know. I found myself so upset. I'm like, I'm I'm not a Chargers fan, but I am during this game. And it, they are. They're the best, you know, losing record team. Like, how can they have this? Re- I don't understand. But, I mean, it was really the play right before that, too, or maybe a few plays before it. But Mike Williams also dropped a, a game-winning touchdown pass, oh, no. and then he ended up getting hurt. And then we had that sequence go on, and then Donald Parham. But just right there, there's two receivers we just mentioned in the last almost-to-be game-winning drive, which it should have been, which is just heartbreaking. But that's what Justin Herbert does. He passes it around and gets the ball spread out. But how are they losing? Uh, they find a way every single time. And it's like, I'm invested, and I don't know why. <laughs> like, I really want them to win. One, Anthony Lynn must just be the nicest guy in the world, and you fear, feel for him. And... You know, the running joke for years was, well, the Chargers don't have any fans. I kind of feel like we're all a little bit of fans of the Chargers right now because they play entertaining football, but just somehow come out on the wrong end of it. I mean, they made Kalen Balaj look really good. <laughs> How is okay. that possible? Let's like, break I this don't... <laughs> down. Let's, let's break this down first. Um, 
let's look at the, the Raiders side since they won. I feel like that's the right thing to do. All right. Yeah. Let's, let's, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fine. But we'll start with them. Then we'll move on to the fun stuff. Go yeah. Ahead. I'm kidding. So, Raiders fans. <laughs> Derek Carr is typically efficient. I mean, that's the word I would associate with him. And today, not at all. 13 of 23, 165 yards, two touchdowns, throwing the ball to Hunter Renfro, who just had two receptions, 60 yards. Nelson Aguilar, two receptions, 55 yards, and a score. Darren Waller had 22 yards and a touchdown. I look at all of, of this passing numbers. How did they get 31 points out of it? It's so weird, right? So in the very first half, he had this huge bomb to Nelson Aguilar. It was for 45 yards. That yeah. doubled his throwing yards for the game in one pass. It was like, it was very, very weird. So they were doing this odd combination of, well, I don't want to call it odd because that's kind of what the Raiders do now. But in the very first drive, they utilized Jalen Richard, Josh Jacobs, uh, Devonta Booker, who ended up scoring, of course, because everyone started Devonta Booker, clearly, obviously. And um, Alec Ingold was involved in that, too. And I think hmm. the two passes to maybe it was Aguilar and Witten, they just didn't do anything. So it was the run game. And then it was a tale of two halves for Derek Carr. He was kind of like super vanilla, like meh, in the first half. Second half, he comes out. He had a big interception, too, right before halftime. And then he comes out and he's this gunslinger and he's just chucking it down. And then he's leaping over defenders and he's like, yeah, get in there. And the, the guy who was calling the game was so funny. I, I wish I could have clips of him just narrating my life. Just stop it. Stop it. Oh, he's so good. It was great. I was like, this is so awesome. But yeah, it was, a, it was a weird, it was a weird thing. I had to stop and look and say, how are they scoring? Who is scoring these touchdowns? What is happening right now? It's crazy. So, I mean, this team tried to bring in some explosiveness this offseason. I always thought it was going to be Henry Ruggs, who saw zero receiving yards on three targets, only 10 rushing yards on a single carry. Meanwhile, the explosive element has become Nelson Aguilar. Because I have to ask, was Henry Ruggs just not needed? Was he not used? Did it not work out? Was he injured? Like, why Why did he get basically zero production in this he, game that equaled 31 points? Honestly, I have no idea. I forgot he was on the team. I, oh, I don't I don't even – who knows? But, you know, just you brought up Nelson Aguilar before. He can actually catch the football. Who knew? You know, I, I don't think Eagles fans did. They're like, oh, thanks. Thanks for your help, Aguilar. Appreciate it. So he's like – you know, he's almost done that Amari Cooper flip-flop role, you know, mm. when he did, you know, really well for the Cowboys when he was kind of not really that consistent with the Raiders. But, you know, that is neither here nor there. Um, but Henry Ruggs, I feel, is that – was that deep threat. And now Nelson Aguilar is kind of taking over. And – Henry Ruggs was injured too. So maybe they just kind of have a little bit more chemistry with, with Derek Carr moving forward. I'm not really quite sure, but really this game is about the ground and pound run game. When they utilize like four different backs, it's kind of hard to get a whole ton of receivers in the mix when you've got Darren Waller as a tight end. Yeah. Let me ask about that running game because we knew Josh Jacobs was going to get a, a healthy workload and he did 14 carries, 65 yards and a score, but Devonte Booker on less opportunity put out the same amount of production, eight carries, 68 yards and a score himself. Is there anything people who roster Josh Jacobs need to worry about moving forward here? Or was it kind of just a one-off? I think it was a one-off. The Chargers are no slouches, right? And so their defense isn't super awesome against the mm. run game, but they're also really not that bad. So I think this was an opportunity for them to really showcase how much talent that they have at the position. And John Gurdon is one of those head coaches, too, that really likes to give these guys opportunity. So And Devonta Booker is a hard worker. So it, I think it just happened in this game that it happened to be shut Josh Jacobs down. And John Gurdon was like, oh, really? Because we have more than just Jacobs. All right, guys. Alex Engel, Jalen Richard. 
go for it. Devontae Booker, you get a touchdown. I think it was kind of more of that scheme. But if you have Josh Jacobs, like I do in several leagues, don't worry. It's okay. He is still going to be the one that's their featured back. I understand it does have that committee feel to it. Yeah. But for some reason, it, this is still Josh Jacobs' game. This just happened to be one of those where this was so tight. And it was nail-biting all the way down to the final seconds of the game. I was super excited I got to talk about it. (laughs) Let's look at the Chargers. And because Justin Herbert continues to look electric, 28 of 42, 326 yards and two touchdowns. Keenan Allen continues to dominate that target share, 11 targets, nine receptions, 103 yards and a score. Mike Williams is now heavily involved, seven targets, five receptions, 81 yards. Again, Herbert gets people involved who weren't even on rosters before, like Tyron Johnson had a 50-yard catch. But Kalen Balazs was the one who dominated this backfield because of an early Justin Jackson injury, right? Yes. So he went out really early in the game. And I don't know about you, but when I hear Kalen Balazs in the news, it kind of goes in one ear and then it trickles out the other ear. So I really didn't give this much thought until I was like, does that say Balazs on his? Mm-hmm. It does. And wow, is this, you know, we talk about Ryan Fitzpatrick and how he's Fitz magical, if you will. But isn't Herbert kind of the same way? Mm-hmm. It's like he makes magic out of things. And you had neighbors that scored. Donald Parham, oh, heartbreak, almost scored. Kalen Balazs was running. Josh Kelly actually looked a little bit better than he has in the past. Hunter Henry was involved. Tyron Johnson, Mike Williams. I mean, Jalen Guyton. I mean, these are all people that were involved in the passing game and they're relevant because Herbert can make them relevant. And as a rookie, that it's just, it's so exciting to watch. Mm. And even though their record is no bueno, you should be so excited if you're a Chargers fan moving forward into the future with this kid. Let's look at that backfield and then we'll close because with Justin Jackson, I think so many of us thought he would own this backfield with Austin Eckler out because that's what we've seen, you know, in the last few weeks. But then with that immediate injury, I would have thought based on how he played in those first two weeks of the season that Joshua Kelly would have gotten the most work. And correct me if I'm wrong, but just from watching in the fourth quarter, most of Joshua Kelly's receiving work, she got five targets, five receptions, 35 yards was just in that span of time. And obviously, I just mentioned that he saw six fewer carries than Kevin Balazs. Who knows what the Justin Jackson injury is, but it kind of feels like Anthony Lynn and the coaching staff showed their hand here where no matter what, who gets injured, Joshua Kelly is just going to be the second running back in the game. I know, right? So when Eckler went out early, I was very quick to pick up Joshua Kelly, especially because he scored a touchdown early in the season. So I was like, okay, this is going to be his time. Justin Jackson is going to be the one taking a back seat, right? No, it wasn't. And Joshua Kelly really hasn't stepped in to say, hey, I know I'm a rookie, but I can get it done. They're kind of like, nah, we're going to let you just learn, stay on the field, get your reps in. But he really has not stepped up as the guy. He has been productive Mm -hmm. and he has been able to contribute a little bit. But like you said, the fact that they just basically ran the tires off Kalen Balazs does kind of tell you something and when Eckler comes back I am very excited to see how they're going to use Eckler because it it seems like Joshua Kelly is going to step into that role that's that line of scrimmage back and then Eckler can finally be involved in the passing game where he is so incredibly productive like a Swiss army knife in the future moving forward but in this game particular the game the backfield was owned by uh, by Kalen Balazs which was very interesting uh, literally that floored me For the second straight game, Dalvin Cook rushes for over 200 yards and carries the Minnesota Vikings to a 34-20 victory over the Detroit Lions. Yes, Dalvin, 22 carries, 206 yards, two touchdowns, and was the team's second leading receiver with 46 yards on just two catches. If you listen to our preview shows, you know I always talk about 
slow linebackers equal a slow defense, and the Lions were just slow defensively. They could not keep Dalvin Cook at bay, and once he broke to the second level, either going through contact or great blocking up front, he was just simply off the races, which included a 70-yard touchdown run. Kirk Cousins really wasn't necessary except for in the red zone where he was efficient. 13 of 20, 220, and three touchdowns. Two of those touchdowns went to Irv Smith on his only two catches of the game, totaling just 10 yards. Again, he's not a volume play. It's difficult to start him every week, but where we are at in fantasy football with tight ends right now, red zone targets are really meaningful. Justin Jefferson drew a deep pass interference penalty against Jeffrey Okuda and totaled 64 yards himself and Adam Thielen just 38 yards on the day. It just wasn't necessary. I mean, 275 total rushing yards for the Vikings. Meanwhile, on the Lions side, we know that Kenny Galladay was out and Matthew Stafford did not play his best. Two third quarter interceptions left the game in the fourth quarter after a crunching hit and Chase Daniel come in and stunk up the joint. But Stafford on the day, 211 yards and two interceptions. But, you know, it made Danny Mandola the leading receiver with 77 yards. Marvin Jones, 43 yards and a score. T.J. Hawkinson remains a top five tight end in fantasy football right now with 39 yards and a touchdown. To me, it was somewhat meaningful that DeAndre Swift easily led this backfield and carries 13 to 8 compared to Adrian Peterson, 64 yards to 29 yards. The Lions just aren't good. You know, they were missing offensive linemen. They were missing defensive pieces. They should be having far more competitive games than this with the Minnesota Vikings. But they're just not at that point. And maybe I'm completely wrong. And I feel like I say this every single week. But Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn need some, you know, Dan Quinn magic, late season magic in order to prove that they should have their jobs for 2021. The Houston Texans, led by Deshaun Watson, narrowly beat the Jacksonville Jaguars 27-25. They have two wins. Jaguars still with just one win on the season. Deshaun Watson's playing some of the best football of his career. Threw for 281 yards and two touchdowns. Also ran for 50 yards, including this amazing third and five conversion in the fourth quarter where he seemed to break two or three tackles just inches or feet away from multiple defenders. The start to this game was absolutely wild. One of Jake Luton's first throws was a deep shot to DJ Chark with busted coverage where he took it 73 yards for a touchdown. And Deshaun Watson and Brandon Cooks immediately responded with Cooks catching a short pass and taking it with great blocking downfield for a 57-yard score. You know, there were times earlier this season where it was just Will Fuller or just Brandon Cooks getting production. I know this was the Jaguars, but both receivers did great in this game. Fuller had five catches, 100 yards, and a score. Brandon Cooks, three catches, 83 yards, and a score. David Johnson left in the first half after a massive hit from Miles Jack. It looked like a concussion. And so we saw Duke Johnson finally as a lead running back. 16 carries, 41 yards, and a touchdown. Also caught four other passes for 32 yards. And again, on the Jaguars end, this is our first exposure to Jake Luton and There were some really fun moments. I mentioned that opening drive, long touchdown pass. And then late in the game, they were very close to tying this one. It was a great drive that included out routes to Chris Conley, more downfield throws to DJ Chark, and then a galloping, twisting, and turning touchdown run by Jake Luton. 
finished the day with 304 yards, one touchdown, one interception. I will say the interception was absolutely horrific, but the rushing score made up for it. And James Robinson continues to be a, a great starter in fantasy football. 25 carries in this game, 99 yards and a score. I don't know if Gardner Minshew comes back. You know, Minshew and Chark have just not been in sync after being very in sync last year in 2019. Like we all read those comments from the Jaguars coaching staff in the middle of the week saying, well, Luton's going to throw the ball more downfield. And that was absolutely the truth. I wouldn't be surprised if they just continued to roll with him. I mean, they're still probably going to lose, but at least you keep your top playmaker happy. And by the way, LaVisca Chenault left very early on in this game. I think it was a hamstring injury. So that's why he barely got any production. All right. That's going to do it for us. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning into the show. We'll be back on Tuesday morning with the Waiver Podcast. We always appreciate the support. Up the Villa, 3-0, destroying the Gooners today. It was a lot of fun. Talk to you soon. See ya. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.